Welcome to episode 289 of the Pioneering Today's podcast. Today's episode is a fun one and one I'm really excited to share with you with a new series that we're going to be doing here on the podcast. So today's episode, we are focusing on the topics of time management and organization, getting a system in place specifically for your garden. And if you are working outside the home or even inside, I know many of us are actually working from home now, but if you don't have the time to just devote as many hours as you would like and time is not a factor to your garden, you are really going to love this episode. So I'm sharing tips and tricks and pearls from when I was working at the pharmacy and still running a full-time homestead. But we're really focusing on the gardening aspect of this. So if you are looking to grow more food this year than you ever did before, but you don't want to be overwhelmed, then this is the episode for you. And this episode is very special because it is a more of a consult than an interview, though it's kind of an interview, but it's more of she's asking me questions and we're kind of going back and forth. And this is with Shannon, who is a member of the Pioneering Today Academy. So this is the Pioneering Today podcast, but I also have the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership. So where I've got all of my e-courses, you get access to those full courses when you are a member, as well as monthly gardening Live. So that's where I walk you through every single month, depending upon your gardening zone. So we cover all the different growing areas, what you need to be doing each month so that you stay on track for the whole year to be growing your own food. We also do member challenges with things in the kitchen when it comes to preserving your food. We're getting ready and gearing up for the end of February and in March to do our fermented dairy course. So moving into doing cultured dairy items. So one of the new things that we are doing is members have an opportunity to submit in and they get to come on the podcast and I do basically a one-on-one -on -one consult with them. So they get some one-on-one -on -one things that they are needing help with. And then we also thought it just made a lot of sense to air this as a podcast episode because I know that these are questions that many other people have as well. And it's going to be super helpful to you as well as the members. So if you're listening to this and you're a member of the Academy, keep an eye out for your email because once a quarter, we will be sending an email out to members only and you can submit a form to get one of these spots. And if you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not a member of the Academy, but I need to find out more about it. You can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA, so Pioneering Today Academy, but just the first letter of each of those words. And we only open for enrollment a few times a year. But if you land on that page and it's not available to join right now, there's always a wait list. So make sure that you hit the join now wait list and put in your name and email. And then when we do open for enrollment again, you will get an email and be first in line. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you and my consult with Shannon. I think you're going to find a lot of valuable tips in there, as well as identify with Shannon's story of how she has turned to homesteading and a garden. To grab the show notes, because I always will have links to things that we talk about within the episode that you can go further if you need more information on, you can find those at melissaknorris.com forward slash 298 because this is episode number 298. Okay, 
Let's get to it. I am super excited to get to visit with you today, Shannon, and have you on the podcast. So welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. I really appreciate this opportunity to meet you virtually. You know, it's so funny. In a virtual world, a lot of times we get to text with people or, you know, we're chatting back and forth being typing mode, but there's something very special, even though we're still technically virtual, um, about getting to speak and to hear someone else's voice. So I always really look forward to these too, because when I'm doing obviously podcast episodes where it's just me, I'm kind of talking to myself. So it's really <laughs> fun uh, to be able to meet others and to get to, to talk and then share the conversation with other people. So for those listening in, give us just like a little bit of your background and what you would love some help with today. Sure. Yes. So I am, I guess that for me, I mainly lean towards the gardening side of homesteading. I eat a mostly plant-based diet. And so my garden is kind of my lifeblood. And I started gardening in college. Um, well, really, actually, my first introduction to a garden was when I was very small, maybe three or four years old. And my great grandma always had this luscious, beautiful garden in her backyard. And I remember going back there and I would pick peas and beans and I would eat them like they were candy and her tomatoes. And, and it always stuck with me. And then I uh, attended college and I'm, I majored in biology. And when I took the plant physiology class, well, I took like introduction to biology, et cetera, et cetera. And I just kind of, it lit up for me, just anything around plants. And so I took the plant physiology and that's when it all ended. <laughs> I was, I've arrived. <laughs> And so I, I planted a garden in college and we did a community garden and it was a, kind of a big thing at the university and it just sparked a lifetime love. And then I've kind of fallen away from it and back into it. It's eb ebbs and flows with my career, which is very demanding and time consuming. So where I land now with it is I'm fully committed and I need a plan and I need a process and a system. And so I'm leaning towards your pearls and your advice because I know you have had a career and a busy life and you've invented this for yourself and you've been so successful. And so I just want a little guidance on Having it all. <laughs> well, I want it, it all. We want it all. Oh, yes, yes, we do want it all. Um, and it, that's so funny. Within um, reason. Within reason. Yes, yeah, so there is definitely some reason. And I love that you, you're already talking about ebb and flow because there's definitely an ebb and flow with the garden, but also within the seasons of our life, which you've experienced, you've, you know, you encapsulated so well there and, and telling us your journey. Um, so first off, what is your career? I am a nurse practitioner. And sure. oh, yeah, oh, awesome. So we have a we have similar alignments professionally as well. Yes, definitely. I didn't realize you're a nurse practitioner. That is awesome. So Shannon lives in the Pacific Northwest. We live in the same state, but not in the exact same area. So I am familiar with your growing climate quite a bit. However, what is I think you're a little bit warmer than I am. So when is your first and last frost date? So typically the first will it will arrive by the second week of November if it's a good year. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then the last is 
honestly, it's it can creep into about I think they technically land on November 8th and about March, April 8th. But I find that if I can sneak stuff out in March, it usually if I'm responsible about what I put out there, it's usually fine. Okay, good. Oh, man, you get to go a lot earlier than I do. I do. do. I do. And I'm pushing the boundaries. (laughs) I am a boundary pusher. I'm always I'm always testing. um, I'm always testing and pushing boundaries in the garden. So we're we're a lot aligned like that. And, you know, you, you live and learn each year. But I think it's important to push those boundaries just a little bit just to see. So with your gardening, um, so kind of do you, like what you have, what do you have in place now? So then we can look at where we can help you um, create a better plan or is your, your goal to increase the amount of food that you're growing or just to have a better system to manage it? Great question. So both, I do want to increase what I'm growing. I had a, we revamped our landscape this past year and so i have a it's like ground zero here and so this i did manage to get a small garden going this summer but that's when the majority of the work was being done so my entire yard was torn up and it's the first garden i've had in this house because we had uh, moved here and downsized and whatnot and so it's it's like relearning i went from acreage to just a normal lot which feels claustrophobic to me because I'm used to just being able to go into the back 40 and find beautiful compost from the trees and you know it's just a different world so that's that's kind of a learning a little bit of a learning curve to like not have the freedom to just put something wherever I want and and finding a place on my property that will work for anything I kind of feel like a city gardener even though I technically live nowhere near the city (laughs) and so um Then uh, the other factor is I want to increase what I'm harvesting and I tend to be the gardener that gives away. So I grow all this stuff and then I can't, I don't preserve it. So I'm giving it all away, (laughs) which is lovely, but I would like to, I would like to move in towards um, more of preserving in various ways. And so I want, that's kind of my two goals is creating a system that maximizes my space and um, maximizes my harvest and then moving forward in little by little in um, preserving things in various ways in all the ways I want to ferment I want to can I want to freeze and I want to dehydrate because it's all fun it is all fun and I'm like you I like to use all of the ways I mean canning canning is close and, and dear to my heart but canning isn't for all foods and we don't like to eat all foods necessarily in the kit like we prefer some of them in a ferment versus in a canning so this is all really great so your existing space so it's new home mm-hmm. um so are you doing are you doing uh, raised bags I, yes and i have two right now that one is 10 by 10 and one is like 10 by we expanded it and i don't know the exact measurements but i would say it's close to 10 by 20 and I planted, I got over a hundred pounds of tomatoes and then I ruined them all by overwatering. <laughs> they were mushy and bland and I forced myself to eat them anyways. 
I was so sad. I tried everything, but um, that's a side story. We'll stay off that one. Okay. <laughs> so, depressing. <laughs> but, but, it, but, the, but the challenge, and, and for me, what my takeaway was is I had not, I had literally just established that bed. It faces south. I am so fortunate that my, my, I have, my house faces south slightly on a grade. So the front of my house gets southern sun as well, even though that's the north side of my house. And then the, my south side, which is the back side of my house, is where I had put my raised garden beds. And it, it is blazing hot. It is a microclimate that, unlike no other, it gets very, very hot, direct, all day sun. And it's, it's um, stone block raised beds. Okay. So it just soaks up the heat. And my peppers were glorious. Oh, I, I bet they were. I will not be jealous right now. Um, <laughs> so okay. you're not that far away. You can just come put some in, in the dirt. <laughs> I love I love this. Okay. And so you already have established you, you with, with your microclimates, which is really, really good, actually. So are you looking to put in any more raised beds or just yes. mess? Okay, you are going to plan on some putting. I'm going to plant some up in the front side because it also gets a tremendous amount of um, sun. And so I'm going to evolve up into there. So I so that is that's that to me is kind of my um, been my where I mentioned that I feel like it's an urban challenge (laughs) (laughs) because I'm now going to I'm going to be a front yard, backyard, side yard, all yard pots gardener. Okay. Well, I like that you're taking advantage of of the space and it sounds like you have quite a bit of growing space and you're going to be able to expand, expand out and put some new beds in. So for both the preserving aspect of of gardening and then having your plan, I personally, and to get the most out of it and without having so much overwhelm, I like to really do my early spring crops, which you already are doing if you say you're already putting plants out in March and kind of pushing that boundary um, and to getting those in and then swapping out and having my main summer garden, which is for you, you know, your tomatoes and your peppers, those really heat loving plants, which sounds like you have an awesome spot for those to grow and really flourish here in our Pacific Northwest climate, which is we can have a hard time finding spots that are ideal actually for some of those summer crops. So you've got that. And then I like to also plant and do a fall garden and that kind of sometimes sounds overwhelming because you're like, I'm going to have to put in three different crops. Um, but I found that by doing that, it's actually easier for me than trying to cram everything into just that summer growing season. Mm-hmm. So are you already doing a spring garden and then kind of like your main summer garden and then some fall crops? Or is it just predominantly the one growing part? Well, that's where I need your guidance. I have predominantly in the past just dumped everything in in the spring and just ate it till it was gone and said goodbye and went to the grocery store. (laughs) But (laughs) we're moving out of that. And so um, where I need a lot of guidance is that, you know, kind of that strategic plan where, okay, how do I spread this out over time successfully and, um, and in a way that I can harvest them. I feel like now that I'm paying attention to my garden, it's become more challenging. When I didn't care and I just threw seeds everywhere, I felt like I had this bountiful garden and I, I didn't have expectations. And, and so when I walked out the door, it was everything made me happy. Well, now I'm, you know, getting a little it's more meaningful because I've, I'm looking at, well, okay, if I want these tomatoes to work, I, I mean, I, I need to have 15 plants or whatever. And, 
And so now that it's become more meaningful to me, that's where I'm like, it's, it's an exciting challenge to create a plan for that. Yes, it is. And I'm clueless oh. about. <laughs> you're, you're doing really good. Honestly, you're, you are. So I would look at for the spring crops first. So obviously that, well, I shouldn't say obviously, because some people might not know that. And that sounded um, actually kind of rude of me. So forgive me for that. But your cool weather crops are what we can do in that early spring garden. And that's going to be most things in our Barassica family. So kale, lettuce, um, you know, cauliflower, broccoli, uh, radishes sometimes, uh, you know, those those types of things. So what I like to do for that early spring garden is I really like to look at um, cabbage, of course, the the crops that we will really be eating. And for that springtime, for most of our brassicas, I want to make sure that I have enough cabbage to ferment and that will take us through, and we like to do curtido, which I know you're you're familiar with. And if anybody's been listening to the podcast or following my YouTube videos for a while, they'll be familiar with it. And it's a Spanish version, basically, of sauerkraut that uses onion and garlic and carrot and a little bit of oregano. And I just, I don't even do regular sauerkraut anymore. It's the only thing I do. We have to have it in the fridge at all times. So <laughs> I will kind of plan out first based upon that, because I know what I put up in the fall we're going to be dangerously close to running out of by the time spring hits. So I kind of do, I really plant my garden and my crops based upon what we really like to eat. Um, and I try to kind of follow that. And then the other stuff, you know, I kind of will, will put in around the edges, so to speak. So I, I start first with the crops that are our main crops that we really enjoy and we cook with and we eat with a lot. And then based upon what's going to be able to be growing in that growing season. So for spring, I always like to make sure that I have um, cabbage, enough cabbage planted, Some we can, that we could eat a few heads fresh, but mainly so I can replenish my curtido um, supply. And then I also, and then I'll plan that out for what we'll go through in about six months. So I kind of will look back at how much we're eating per week so that I can kind of calculate out the volume that I will, that I will need. So that's kind of my first First thing is looking at that. Now, for I also look at for me in the springtime, I tend to get a better crop on broccoli and cauliflower than I do with a fall planting. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to do a larger planting in the early spring of the cauliflower and the broccoli and the cauliflower. We pretty much just eat fresh. So I won't do quite as much of the cauliflower, just enough to what I think will, you know, allow us to eat fresh during that time frame. But broccoli, uh, we will use, you can't can broccoli, but, um, and I've not done any fermenting with broccoli. I'm not honestly sure how I would like that, but I do freeze and dehydrate broccoli. And mm -hmm. so we'll use frozen broccoli in place of fresh throughout other times of the year and different things. And then I'll use dehydrated broccoli in, you know, soups, some, um, and you can throw it in casseroles. I usually do it in soups where it's going to be simmering so it can rehydrate and, and cook for a period of time. So I'll increase and do more broccoli than I will cauliflower. And I'll do a small amount of lettuce, but I can grow lettuce pretty much throughout all the seasons and it doesn't really have a place as far as preserving wise for me. Um, and so I just do a, a small amount of lettuce. So I kind of like to look at what we eat and what will grow in that time frame. And then also, like I said, with that eye on, can I preserve this? And if it's something that I can preserve or in a manner that we will eat it once it's been preserved that way, then I will increase those and give those a little bit more top priority and space than the other ones. Um, 
So I'd kind of recommend like going through the crops and looking at what your guys are eating and, and how you think that you will be preserving mm-hmm. it and just focusing on those for that earlier spring garden. Great. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. And then because there is usually a little bit of an overlap, right? So what you're, you know, some of those things you can usually I will seed start, um, which will push you back, you know, even, even further into mid late winter, depending upon, on how much of a jump you need. Um, I like to seed start the broccoli and the cauliflower. I don't usually seed start my cabbage, um, but I will seed start the broccoli and the cauliflower so that they're going to be larger. And then when I can, you know, plant them out, which is still going to be, you know, so many weeks before the first frost. I don't have that one memorized. I can't remember how many weeks before the first frost. I can actually put those transplants out, but we have charts. (laughs) We've got charts for all of that. Um, And so I like to get those started earlier because I feel like it can take them a little bit longer to actually form their heads and let their heads get to be a large enough size to make it, you know, worth growing the crop. Um, so you'll want to be looking at is, are any of these things that I do want to seed start? Um, and that way also, if I've seed started them and then can get them out under either, you know, some doing a little bit of, you know, like if I need to, if it's still a little bit early, but I can get them in the ground and just protect them from super hard frost. We may still be having when they're, there's more tender um, transplants, then, you know, they're easy when they're little like that to just put like a upside down milk jug on top of, or they're much easier to insulate <laughs> than yeah. when they're larger plants. And so I can push that boundary earlier in the spring I found because the plants are smaller and I can use just little things from around the house or even upside down, um, like wide mouth mason jar, which I can't really do that in the fall if they're not of harvestable size, just because the plants are so much bigger. It requires a lot more like actual doing hoop houses or cold frames, that type of thing. So I like to really push the boundary with my cool weather plants in the early spring planting garden. I just find that it's easier for me to do it that way and to get those bigger crops. Um, But that way, if I have started from seed and can transplant in then actual starts of the cauliflower and the broccoli or you could look at you know local garden centers usually will have those too if you don't want to seed start them but it could be just a little bit of a way to jump start that and the reason for the broccoli and cauliflower is one like I said so that they will be of appropriate head size for me but then also that they will be at that head size and then I can pull them out and have enough time to then put in my warm weather crops in that same place doing you know appropriate crop rotation so that's kind of one of the reasons I like to do that with with those ones as well so And it sounds like you already know which beds do really well for your warm weather heat loving plants, which is really good. But it sounded like you had a problem with the tomatoes. Disaster. I planted, I seed started, which I've never done before. Yay. (laughs) Good job. I'm so proud of myself. So it feels still feels like a winner because I, I, I planted seven what well, planted like 21 or something and i gave several away so i kept 17 and i thought if five grow and produce i'm a winner every single one of them <laughs> but i but i traumatized them because we tore up our yard in the middle of the growing season they got a little root bound in my red solo cups and they um just it, they just had a traumatic experience and i i honestly believe that i stunted their growth so that they survived. They came back. I babied them, talked to them, videoed them. I did all the things to nurture them, <laughs> worm casted them. I did it all. And, um, but then 
we put in our irrigation system and we realized that our timer was off and things were off and they were drowning in water. So then when they all came to fruit, they were just tasteless. I'm assuming it was the water logging that did it, but I, I honestly can't be for sure. I don't, I mean, I know that will do that, but I don't know enough to know what other things will do it. So, okay. Um, if you know that they were getting a lot of water, like too much water, I would be like you and assume like that's probably what it was because it doesn't sound like you had once they were in the soil, like they were struggling nutrient wise, like you didn't have a lot of, you know, yellowing leaves or, you know, different Correct. signs. Yeah, that, they were that healthy they, and green and, and growing, like effortlessly growing. They really, I was really proud of the little guys. They did great. They should be. I love this, especially because I know when you seed start them, it's oh, funny. You your babies. Have, yes, you do have a different affinity for plants when you seed start them, at least I do, versus um Yes, there's a different, it sounds so silly, but there's a different <laughs> emotional attachment. I'm with you. Um, so I would assume it was just the watering, which now, you know, you know, that's something you've learned and you're like, okay, then, you know, we know that the automatic timers weren't working correctly or they were, you know, too much in. So that's something you can easily correct for this year. You know, does and if you ruin them for life, when, when you do, I just assumed they were ruined for life. Does it, you can't recover from a soggy, overwatered, tasteless tomato, correct? Unless you like dehydrated or something. <laughs> Well, like once the tomato is formed, you mean like actually, mm -hmm. yes. yeah, um, no, you really can't. I mean, you're not going to really change the composition of it after it's okay. formed and you've harvested it. No, at least I don't. I don't. I mean, you could, you know, cook it down to really evaporate the water out to try to concentrate the tomato flavor in like a, a thicker tomato paste. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you can't really improve upon Mm -hmm. the natural flavor once it's already there good i don't feel bad about carting away a hundred pounds of tomatoes into a giant compost pile now <laughs> well it's gonna refeed right there we go it's gonna refeed this year Giving so back. not all is lost yes not all is lost but definitely not ideal so definitely you know really yeah now you know to really check those water levels um and the timers and just make sure everything is is going as should there and that should really help correct that problem um you know and then if you were it doesn't sound like from what you've said that it doesn't sound like there's really a soil nutrient issue that I would be really concerned about your macro and micronutrients. Of okay. course, you always could do a soil test. I mean, they're very inexpensive to do. They're really easy to do. And then, you know, absolutely for sure if any levels are off and you can, you know, then, of course, correct those um, going into and you have plenty of time because, you know, we're at the time of this recording, we're a good six months out before you would be putting your tomatoes mm -hmm. in the ground anyhow. So you would have plenty of time to get a soil test done and then also do any amendments um, if you wanted to. But I don't think that that's like a, a make or break it from what you explained mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you went through. Okay. But, you know, especially if you're moving into this is a new yard, a new area. But if any of the things that you planted doesn't sound like they were really struggling or, or seemed really sickly, then you're probably good. Yeah, they, they behaved. They were good. I think that the soil might be immature because it was all um, what we had to put in and whatnot. But I, I think we did a fairly good job. So I will um, change. I'm going to go to a drip irrigation. That was my biggest problem was my irrigation, I think. So I'm going to convert it out to drip irrigation and control the watering and not worry about um, underwatering ever again because I learned. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love for tomatoes, actually, well, for everything, but especially tomatoes and peppers, I just really love the soaker hoses. Um, they're so okay. easy to, they're 
relatively inexpensive. Um, I've had the same soaker hoses. I will use them multiple years. I'm trying to think, have I replaced? I think I've maybe replaced the main soaker hose that was in the tomatoes once in, oh my goodness, like five years. So they will last several years for me. And what I like about them is I can just lay them down, like serpentine them around the, you know, the base of the plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just hook up this hose, the regular hose to them and, and turn it on. And I only run ours usually even in the heat of max of summer. I usually only use the drip hoses on the tomatoes and peppers like twice a week. And that's being in a high tunnel where temperatures during the day, if it's sunny out, even with the windows open, can get up in the in the low hundreds to 90s, not often here because of Pacific Northwest weather, but it can. So that's really easy, especially for time management, because I just will turn them on before I turn them on at night, like when twice a week, I'll go out and I'll turn them on like at 10 o'clock right before I go to bed. And then when I get up in the morning, I just go and turn them off. So of course it's remembering to turn them on and off. But even if I forget, like say it's halfway through the day, because it is that just that drip, it's really not that big a deal if it went for a few extra hours or something like that. Um, but I've just found that that way I never really overwater and they get that really good deep watering to send those roots really far down um, without worrying about like the overwatering issue, which can, you know, bring up a whole other problems, what you experienced in, and even more sometimes. Okay. That's good. <clears throat> that's good advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I really um, like what you were saying about the, uh, the putting in the broccoli and cauliflower um, or starting them, um, seed starting them and giving them a little jump start because mine looked, you know, a little um, immature. They never really got there. And I, I think, and I know now after uh, speaking with you that I did everything too late with them and they just didn't have a chance. And um, so I'm really excited to try that. Yeah. <laughs> I eat oh, a lot good. of vegetables. <laughs> yeah. And cauliflower and broccoli are some of our, our favorites um, here. And two, if you, because uh, it's at that fine line, which is why I really do like to do them in spring, because unfortunately, especially with the broccoli, much more so than the cauliflower, if you do it too late, like you said, either it'll be too warm and they'll just immediately bolt and you won't get those nice big heads. Um, and so that's another key to putting them out earlier. And I like doing this, this the seed starting aspect mm-hmm. rather than direct sowing. So I'll be excited to see how that works for you this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also do like to do a fall garden. Now I have found here though. So that's why I do the majority of my broccoli and the cauliflower too in that early spring garden, especially for any that I want to preserve up because I, I will do a fall garden and for the fall garden here are you'll be able to put your fall garden in a little bit later, which is actually going to be ideal because your first frost date falls later than mine. You have a longer growing season um, because you'll be able to pull out a lot of your main summer plants will be done by that time. So you'll actually, you know, with being able to rotate those crops through your beds um, without putting in more beds, you'll be able to put more in. Whereas I typically have to put in my fall garden plants really about mid-July in order to have them at that harvestable size the end of September, first part of October, when we will start to get our first frost because we're quite a bit earlier. So that's actually going to work out really well for you with your climate. Um, But I have found, unfortunately, like with my broccoli and cauliflower, I put mine in mid-July this year and it's 
mid-December at the time that we're actually recording this and none of my cauliflower um, created heads. So I have a note to myself when we had a seasonably cool and this is where, you know, still that trial and error. I mean, I've been gardening for 20 plus years and I still have timing issues. So don't feel bad about that because we can't control the weather and you're always learning. So this year I'm making a note. I'm actually starting my fall garden where I'll be seed starting those plants the very first of July. That was my question for you next. You just led right into it. So with regards to the organizing and, 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 um, and kind of pre-planning it, yeah. what does that look like? Like, uh, so, you know, I, I feel like I might've started my seeds a little too early last year indoors. I started my tomatoes in January, the, the end of January. So essentially almost like the first, like probably the last weekend of uh, February-ish. So I started them a little early. They got real root bound as we talked about. I mean, not terrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I transplanted them into the solo cups and that gave them some growing room. But then, um, so I think I just, my timing was really off on everything. So what does it kind of look like with the three um, with the three rotations that you were speaking about earlier? So where do you, do you, is it like four ish weeks? I mean, I guess it's a little plant specific, I'm sure, but yeah, it is. It is definitely plant specific as to how many weeks before you can plant them out that you need to be starting them. So to make onions are actually, if you want to do onions from seed, those are about 16 weeks before you can plant them out. They have the longest uh, weeks to start before you actually are going to be planting them out in the ground. And then tomatoes and peppers are, a close second they require a lot but if you started them the end of january yeah you started them a little you started them a little bit too early so if you didn't have like half gallon pots to start moving them into then they definitely would have become root bound like you experienced before you could actually plant them outside so i would just you know adjust that time frame i usually start my tomatoes um, now i don't actually plant my tomatoes out in the high tunnel until usually um, the first or mid-May. And if I don't have them in the high tunnel, because that does provide me with about five to 10 degrees um, warmer protection, then I don't plant them outside until the end of May. So I think you're going to, you can probably plant outdoors probably the first of May or the very tail end of April. Yes. I think that I, I typically get out there around Mother's Day. That's kind of my weekend. Okay. I'm sure that I can push it earlier because we really are um, starting to warm up by then. And we get, and, and you probably experienced this too. We have these very random May hot days. We're just yes. out of the blue. It's 95 degrees or 90. It's more like 90, but it, it, it literally, we have like one to three every year out of the blue. And if you're not ready for it, <laughs> it's really hot for us. It is very hot for us. And I have been, you know, like we've had a, yes, we've had some weeks like that where I'm like, oh, the soil's got to be warmed up by now. I'm just going to plant the whole garden. Like we're just going for it. Yeah. Like direct mistakes. sowing and everything. <laughs> yeah. And then unfortunately that week ends. Yes. Then it's, and June arrives and then we're, <laughs> we're drowning yeah. until after, until what, like 4th of July, maybe the day after 4th of July, yeah, the sun comes out. Summer starts July 5th here. It, sure um, does. it really does. Yes. Because usually the 4th of July, you're, you're in rain. In rain. It starts yeah. the next. Yes. yes. So um, I, I kind of 
don't really do much with those days. I mean, I'll take advantage of them and go out and do work that needs to be done in, in the garden, in the yard, you know, don't get me wrong, but I don't like, I don't usually plant. I stick to the, the plant days mm-hmm. um, and I don't try to plant then because we've tried it and you have that really hot period, which is great for warming up the soil. And then those seeds want to sprout. But then here then will typically be followed by at least two weeks of really soggy, wet weather after that little hot streak. And then they like to rot or they're just stunted because they got started with a super hot temperature and then boom, you're flipping a switch mm-hmm. and it's like 30 degrees cooler almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just don't seem to do really well. So we have found that it's better for us just to wait until the end of May and not get suckered by those <laughs> few hot days of weather and just plant through the regular direct sowing like full summer garden then. Um, but with your tomatoes beings, you could plant around Mother's Day. Like I wouldn't seed start my tomatoes indoors or my pepper plants then until end of probably like close to the end of February, you know, really, you know, 12 weeks would be the longest out, but even eight weeks is going to give you a good, a good start on those and then not have to deal with the root bound issue, especially on the tomatoes. The peppers don't seem to get root bound as easy as the tomatoes because tomatoes have a much larger root system and are a larger plant. Um, So I think just adjusting that. And then the kind of the beautiful part about that is if you start your tomato seeds indoors and your peppers, around that end of February, that's going to be about the right time that you would also be looking to start your broccoli and I don't seed start cabbage. You could, if you wanted to, if you have, depending on how much space you have indoors and how much you want to do indoors for seed starting, but really the the broccoli and the cauliflower, because you're going to be able to plant those out earlier, but you can seed start them at the same time. So that way you're kind of doing all of that seed starting work at the same time, but you'll have different plant out dates for those cool weather crops versus your warm weather crops. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. And then how do you, uh, how do you, how do you juggle? Like, how do you map out kind of like your, how do you manage all of this? How do you do what you do, Melissa? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, first off, as I said, I have been doing it for 20 plus years. So I'm more than happy to share, but it's, it's, you know, it's been an evolving of all of those years to really narrow in for me and my growing time and what we're eating to really get it into those optimal spots. Um, but I, I will look at those, that, which is why, and you already know them, which is key because a lot of people don't even know off the top of their head, their first and last frost dates because it all really revolves around that. So first is figuring out those first and last frost dates and then deciding, do I want to do a spring crop of cool weather crops, a regular warm weather summer garden? And do I want to do again, some of those cool weather crops in the fall and that is how you maximize the amount of food that you're growing in the same amount of space or one of the ways that you can maximize it, of course, doing vertical planting and, and that can help you grow more. But really, that's how you, you, you can grow essentially three gardens in the same amount of space in one calendar year. So knowing that is just pulling out like a, a day planner or your calendar, or if you have my family garden planner, we've got all of those um, charts in the family garden planner. And so you look at those and you're like, okay, I'm going through and I know that these are the crops that A, my, me or my family like to eat. And B, these are ones that I want excess of so that I can preserve them. And those are the ones that I focus on growing first. And so after I have identified that, then I go to that planner and those charts, which um, if you 
if anybody is listening and you don't have a copy of the family garden plan, you can get for free at the book website, which will have links in the show notes that how much to plant for a year's worth of food of each crop. So that's where I kind of go and do this first work in those worksheets. And so I, I don't want to spend too much time going over those because those are something everybody can download for free, even if they don't have the books and, and grab. But those worksheets are going to help you identify what I just said, the, the crops uh, that you and your family eat, how much of it you're eating, so that if you do want to try to raise a year's worth of it and not buy it from the grocery store, you'll have an estimation of how many plants that would require. And then there's... Um, and then knowing, okay, I'm going to be preserving these. So that gives them higher priority for me to plant more of them. So I have the excess to preserve. So that helps you identify first off, just this is the crops that we want to do. Then you're going to look at them and say, okay, these are cool weather crops. That means I can grow these in the spring and the fall and not focus on growing them during the summer once when they're probably going to struggle anyways, which is usually what happens. And then the warm weather crops, this is what I'll focus on for that second planting that's going to happen, you know, usually in May or April, depending on where you live and in, in your weather, unless you're extremely hot in the south. And I'm going to go throughout those summer months. And then if I'm going to do fall, I'm circling back around to these cool weather crops for a fall garden that, that I'll be putting in. I'll be actually planting it in summer. But that way, these crops are of harvestable size or almost harvestable size once my first frost hits. So that helps you lay out these are the crops I'm growing and they're in which garden, spring, summer or fall. After you've done that, then that's when we look at each crop itself and we look at our frost dates. So that will help us to know in the springtime for the early spring garden. If I'm going to be seed starting these, how many weeks back, and it's usually by crop, uh, like I said, onions are like 12 to 16 weeks beforehand. Tomatoes are usually 12. Um, cauliflower and broccoli can be like six to eight. So you'll kind of need to count backwards on your calendar to know if I'm seed starting them, this is how many weeks before this plant date for my spring garden that I need to start them. Um, and usually for the summer garden, most people seed start tomatoes and peppers. Um, and I usually direct so everything else. But some people decide, oh, I want to seed start some of my winter squash, for example, or summer squash. And those usually are just a couple of weeks before your, your first frost that you will seed start them indoors. But it's just counting backwards and marking it on the calendar. This is when I need to start these indoors. Um, so I do that for spring and I do that for summer crops on ones that I will be seed starting. Uh, a lot of your root crops actually don't like to be seed started. Neither do uh, beans or peas. Usually they don't like their roots messed with. So I don't ever seed start those, but I will have, okay, my direct so dates. Um, and then same thing if I'm doing that fall garden is looking at, okay, this is my first average frost date. So if I want to have these in and there, there's charts in both the family garden plan and the family garden planner, which is actually like a month year day planner so that you can pop all of these in and have them in your day planner so you don't miss them. This is when I need to seed start my fall crops, which generally falls in the summertime. Like you heard me say, for me, it's going to be July 1st um, for some of those things for other, you know, other people, like for you, if I'm doing July 1st and you don't, and my, our frost dates are about four weeks apart, you probably wouldn't want to be starting those until like the last week of July or the first week of August, but definitely go by each crop and how many weeks before or after those frosts, depending if it's a spring or a fall planting that you would be starting them. So that that's how I put my plan in place. And then 
each year, like I just said, like last year I did mid July. Well, that actually wasn't early enough because I got little tiny heads of broccoli and then we don't have enough daylight hours now, even though they're still alive. I don't have enough daylight hours for them to form any larger heads and I didn't get any cauliflower heads. So I have now in my planner, okay, we're going to move this up two weeks. You're going to be seed starting these babies July 1st for that fall garden. So you will, you know, as you, you know, we have like these best, best dates that are averages for everybody that we go by planting wise. But then the more you do this, the more you will dial it into your area and microclimates like you have those microclimates where it's warmer. So you might be able to put things out a little bit earlier, but each year you'll dial it in just a little bit more and a little bit more, you know, and it'll be a constant learning, but you will get a, a better handle on it. But that's how I approach these three <laughs> different gardening uh, times. And also it, it may seem like as I'm laying this all out, I'm like, boy, that might sound a little bit overwhelming. But honest to goodness, having those three different crops, even though, yes, I am starting things at different times, it's much less overwhelming because I'm not doing a huge volume or as huge a volume all at once as if I was planting all three of these gardens at one time or seeds starting all of them at one time. And then the actual harvest and the caretaking of the amount of space and the preserving of all of these crops is spread out over three different growing seasons. So it's actually less overwhelming that way too. Yeah, it actually sounds very relieving to me when I when you broke it up into you know the just something about how you said that just made organize my brain. It just made it more doable. And so I really appreciate that. That's amazing. And I will be um <clears throat> plot plot plodding along in your books. <laughs> following it like it's a textbook because I, I think that's going to really help a lot. Oh, good. And honestly, that's why I, that's why I wrote, that's why I wrote the books and especially the planner, because I'm like, I need all of this information thrown in my day planner. And I was using, you know, different day planners, like, you know, business day planners, just all, there's all different planners out there. Right. But I was finding, I was having to look up everything to actually put it in my planner. I'm like, I need these sheets in my planner for the ones I don't have memorized so that I'm not constantly going through like three or four different things. I want it all in, in one spot. So I'm hopefully that they will provide as much help for you as they did for me, because I actually wrote them first for myself. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting and fun. And it also the, you know, so much of gardening is the planning of it. It's, it's inspiring. It's fun. It, you know, we have these really rough Januaries here in the Pacific Northwest where you really kind of, it's kind of the one month where there's just not a lot you can do. And, and, and it just, it's just nice to know that I can kind of pull back and get organized with all of it and get into the planner and map everything out. So I'm still feel like I'm gardening during these times where I'm doing less. And um, so that, so it's, it feels like I get to garden during these next couple months, even when I'm not, it'll just be in my planner. Yes. And that is why those seed companies, they are so smart. Well, one, if you are seed starting early, you want to get your seeds early, but all the seed catalogs start to come like end of December and then definitely through January and even February. And it's like, it's like, 
oh, your gardening heart feels so like rejuvenated, even though you're just looking through a catalog. But yeah, oh, yes, I, yes, <laughs> I do a lot of my planning and it's really good. And I have to say too, like, you know, I really do believe in planning, obviously. Otherwise, I don't get things in and it can, you know, I just don't get as much as I would like to out of our garden. But that being said, there have definitely been times where I have missed the ideal window. In fact, this past summer is a prime example. This past summer, we weren't sure we were going to do potatoes and corn. And then, it, you know, every we're like, you know what? We have the space. Let's just till up this area that's just lawn right now that we're just mowing. Let's till this up into a garden space. We didn't even start doing that because it was so rainy and the ground was so saturated. You, we couldn't actually till up and it was all grass like we had to. There was, there was, we hadn't prepped it beforehand. It was like last minute decision. So it wasn't even until mid-June um, that we got it prepped. And I didn't get my seed potatoes or my corn planted until the end of June. So that was a whole month late compared to when we would normally plant these items. But I'm just like, well, if we don't get much of a harvest and it frosts too early, like, well, when we have livestock, so the, the pigs and the, and the chickens, especially on the corn, I should say, and the cattle will eat that up just fine. And we may just have little tiny, super, super baby t- potatoes instead of full sized ones. But like, let's just go for it. And actually, we had it was great. The corn came in late. But it was perfect because that's when like all of the fresh corn that usually can buy from local farmer markets or fields around us, theirs was already done because we had planted later. And then it worked out perfect with the potatoes because they were fully formed right when that first frost hit. And so they are still in the ground. I was able to mulch them and it's really keeping them in basically a root cellar, but just out in the garden. And so my husband are like, we are going to stagger plant. So it ended up being a good thing. Like it wasn't ideal, but it's again, it's kind of like testing that. So sometimes you just test it. You're like, oh, I missed the perfect window. Let's see what will happen if I do it anyways. And you kind of have that expectation. Like you said, you have the expectation of knowing this, this might not come out the best, but if we get anything, we're just going to be excited versus like totally like heart stricken that nothing came on. And we're going to plant, actually, we're going to stagger plant now half of our corn crop. We're going to plant it later like that. So we have that later crop coming in of the fresh corn. And we're going to do the same thing with the potatoes. We're going to plant half of them later like that. So we have that crop that's done just right as the frost is hitting um, versus when we normally would do it much earlier in the year and then, you know, just be storing them um, in from you know after the summer harvest so sometimes it works to your advantage so definitely do the planning but if you missed it try it anyways push the boundaries see what happens for sure thank you yeah that's so exciting i'm so inspired thank you so much i feel so much more organized and like um like i have a direction and and not and not as overwhelmed so i really appreciate it Oh, good. I am so glad it was helpful. And now that I know that you have that amazing area for peppers and you like to give away, if you have an overabundance of peppers this year, I fully expect you to message me. (laughs) I will fully message you. It was such a pleasant surprise. I had peppers for days. I was like, this is crazy. I've never grown them in my life. I've never even bought a start. I've never tried it. And I just 
threw them in. I even grew jalapenos and they worked. <laughs> I was yes. giving them to my neighbors, giving them to everybody. Like, look, look at me, look at me. They're turning red. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. Hot peppers here can definitely be a challenge. Oh, so. for sure. That's yes. why I never tried them. <laughs> so I'm excited. Oh, you should be. I can't wait to see what you get out of your garden this year. It's going to be super exciting. So I'm so glad that you found this helpful. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Melissa. You have a Merry Christmas. It was so nice to meet you. Oh. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and that you got some valuable pearls from that. It was so much fun to get to actually talk in person and visit with some of my members and people who are on this journey. And I loved it really helps because oftentimes it's so funny. I have shared many times on this podcast. I'm a podcast junkie. I love listening to podcasts. It's probably my favorite form of learning and continuing my own education. And I feel like the podcasts that I listen to all the time, like I feel like I really know the people, but there's something really special about when you actually get to talk to them. And as someone who's doing the podcast, I think of many of you, in fact, many of the podcast episodes are because many of you guys either on Instagram or email or YouTube comments, you'll send me messages and things and we'll get a chat that way. But there's something so special about me getting to visit and having that one-on-one -on -one connection with someone, even if it is just audio, we don't get to be in person. And I think since the whole pandemic has started that I value that even more. And so I'm really glad that you got to be here and listen to this too, even if I didn't get to actually speak with you. So I hope that you will check out the Pioneering Today Academy and maybe you will be one of the consults that I get to visit and get to know better in, per well, not in person, I should say better <laughs> it virtually anyways in person. And we'll be having more of this part of the series coming up. We'll still have our regular episodes where I'll, I'll be sharing what's going on and what I'm learning with you from my own life as well as other expert homesteaders, I guess would be a good term. But we're definitely going to be continuing this series and I would love to get your feedback if you enjoyed this, um, what you liked about it, or perhaps if you didn't enjoy it. I do honestly want to know that as much because as much as I, I'd love to see that things are helpful to you guys, I do also want to know if you aren't a fan of some type of format or another because it definitely makes it help it feel more like a conversation with this podcast. So thank you so much. And I don't necessarily have a verse of the week for us this week to wrap up the episode, but more a what I've been doing right now. And that is just putting on some praise music. So it could be old fashioned hymns. I grew up in the church. In fact, my great uncle was a Free Will Southern Baptist preacher. And I would go to his church when I was really little sometimes. And then I also grew up in the Assembly of God Church, which is where I went with my mom if we weren't going to the little Free Will Baptist church that was by us. And there is something, I don't know if it's because it takes me back to my childhood, uh, but those old, really old Southern gospel hymns, something about them are so soothing to my soul. And so I have been purposely not turning on the television, which I actually don't watch a lot of TV and I rarely have the television on myself. But even instead of listening to a podcast all the time has have been putting on old hymns and just listening to them. And sometimes I'll play newer 
newer songs too, newer, uh, I guess you'd call it contemporary Christian music as well. But there's just something about it I have found with it's just in the background is so soothing, especially if I'm starting to feel maybe anxiety or overwhelm. And biblically, it says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people and that we're always to have a thankful and grateful attitude and to be praising the Lord. And there's something about when that music comes on that it just lifts my spirits and I instantly can become more thankful and sing along and feel like I'm entering into the presence of the Lord. So if you're not listening to uplifting Christian music, then I highly recommend try listening to just a song or two a day and see if it doesn't lift your spirits as well. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Blessings in mason jars until we meet again next week. Thank you.